This is Nutritionist Sean Stevenson, and it's February, which is American Heart Month. So I want to do a special video for you to really train you on how to protect yourself and the people that you care about from this epidemic of a disease, which is heart disease. And not many people realize, but last year, 599,413 people lost their lives due to this disease. And our conventional treatment of this disease is not yielding very good results at all. And one of the things to understand is that this disease in this capacity has not existed at any point in human history. This is a new thing and we need to do some things radically different. So I'm going to train you on this information. So stick with me and you're going to learn more about heart disease than you can even imagine. And what we're going to start with is one of the big catch words of heart disease, which is cholesterol. Now, what has been shown and what's been found in all these different studies is that 50% of the people who have strokes and 50% of the people who have heart attacks they don't have high cholesterol. So if that's supposed to be the causative agent, that's what's focused on in cardiovascular disease, and 50% of the people don't have it, then that shoots some holes in that theory right there in and of itself that cholesterol is supposed to be this horrible thing. And what I want to do is actually to break it down for you so that you understand what's going on. And let's first look at the Greek breakdown of the word itself. So kole, meaning bile, stereos, meaning solid, and then we've got all, which is a suffix, meaning alcohol. So this is the molecule itself, and on a scientific understanding, what it is is a waxy organic steroid of fat, basically. And a lot of people still like, what does that mean? So better than just explaining the scientific understanding, I'm going to tell you about the benefits of cholesterol. And that's right, I said the benefits of cholesterol. This is a far cry from what you hear in our modern media about cholesterol, but this is also looking at the people who have a record like that. Let's, um, I'll give you five. We'll do five benefits. Number one, first one that jumps to mind is cholesterol is needed to build your cell membranes. So the cell membranes are literally the membrane which is the communication between all the cells in your body. It's literally the brain of the cell. So if there's any kind of issues with that membrane being healthy, one of the things that cholesterol actually does is make sure that the membrane doesn't get too stiff or too flexible, so it helps to keep things in balance. And if there's a communication issue with the cells in your body, this can lead to autoimmune issues. And heart disease can actually be looked at as an autoimmune issue, which I'm going to show you about in a little bit. So cell membranes, the brain of your cell, cholesterol is needed to actually build these. Super important in and of itself. That should tell you a lot right there. Number two, let's go with brain. So your brain synapses. Okay, so we've got the brain synapses. So this is the communication between the cells in your brain. That's how important cholesterol is. It's needed to actually create these synaptic clefts and the communication between everything going on in your brain. And this is why also... Just a little side note is that sleep is so important for your brain health and your short-term and long-term memory is that a big increase happens in cholesterol synthesis while you're sleeping. Okay, And also what's been found is that when you're taking statins, it's known to be the, the memory zapper you know, because it actually lowers your cholesterol, which lowers this process. Okay, So number three, how about transportation? of nutrients. 
This is one of the big things that cholesterol does. Cholesterol is actually transporting particularly fat-soluble nutrients, fat-soluble vitamins, things like vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, shipping these things to different places in your body. So if your brain needs some vitamin D, it's not going to get there unless cholesterol is there. That's how important it is. Number four, it's needed to create bile for you to digest your fats. And again, a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't know this, you know, when I was coming up and when I went to college, is that the majority of your brain is made of fat. Okay, that's how important it is. And we're taught fat is this bad thing. Well, there you go. So in, a, in order to digest the fats properly, we need bile. And cholesterol is needed to create bile. Okay. And fifth, and this might be the most important one, or for some people it's going to be the biggest thing and most important thing that's going to get them to get this, is that cholesterol is needed to make your sex hormones. So for guys, this is testosterone for women progesterone, estrogen, if you don't have cholesterol, it's the actual seed. It's like planting that seed and allowing for <laughs> the sex hormones to grow. You need that cholesterol molecule to be there planted as a seed. That's how important it is. And this is literally talking about the expansion and uh, appearance of the human race on the planet. Without cholesterol, we can't procreate. We can't create offspring. Okay? So... These are some of the benefits, and these are pretty important things, obviously. And what we're going to look at now is more of a foundational understanding in what most people are hearing about when they hear about cholesterol. They hear about these terms, LDL and HDL. So LDL being so-called the bad cholesterol, when in fact, what this actually breaks down to mean is low-density lipo fat meaning, and protein. So low-density lipoprotein. HDL is obviously high-density lipoprotein. And cholesterol is such an important molecule for your, for your body, for the human body, period, is that HDL goes in and actually extracts any used cholesterol and brings it back to the liver to be recycled. It's such a precious commodity in your body, the HDL is there to recycle it. LDL is there to send it to the different places that it needs to go from your liver. You know, so if you again, if your brain needs vitamin D, LDL is going to ship it there. Okay, th these are the UPS guys. These are the FedEx guys, depending on who you go for. So this is going to be so important in actually getting stuff there. Now, what becomes problematic is it's not that LDL is bad. You've got to let that go. If you're working with someone who's telling you that LDL is bad, you need to really reconsider working with someone else. LDL is actually uh, critical, as I mentioned, but it's the ratio. When this number gets way out of balance, say like five, seven times higher than this number, yeah, that can be a problem because things are not operating in harmony in and of itself. But LDL is not the bad guy, and it's just really want people to understand that. So there's the breakdown on that, and what I put this out and drew this out for was just to get the crash course, which is, when I was explaining this, low-density lipoprotein, high-density lipoprotein, did I say cholesterol? No, I did not say cholesterol because it's not cholesterol. These are carriers of cholesterol. These are not cholesterol themselves, so these are not bad in them themselves. What really boils down to is that HDL is high-density, so it's more dense. Low-density 
means that the density is, is obviously lower, but it's going to have a tendency to be able to get caught up in places. Okay, it's going to have a tendency, and once it happens in your bloodstream, if it gets caught anywhere, it's going to create inflammation. And inflammation can lead to a blockage, it can lead to a heart attack, it can lead to this underlying cause of heart disease, but it's not in of itself a bad thing. It's when, again, that ratio is skewed and we have um, oxidation, which we'll get to in a moment. So LDL is not the bad guy. Now, what I want to look at and teach you about, which is so important, this is going to really uh, bring wonders to your life once you understand this, the real culprit behind this whole process of heart disease. And yes, you are going to learn about that right now because it's so simple, but there are a couple of steps, so you got to stay with me. So first, it really starts back with what's coming into your mouth. And what I want to talk to you about is the glycemic index. And this is basically how sugar affects your, uh, your blood, how much increase in blood sugar we're going to get from a particular food. Okay, in the glycemic index, we can say like, you know, berries, for example, would be like 30 in a glycemic index. It would spike your blood sugar around 30. Table sugar, about 67 to 69. And we know table sugar is like the worst thing ever. We got that. That's the glycemic index for table sugar. All right? So, obviously, we want to avoid this stuff. Now, here's where the whole problem starts. White bread. is actually 77 to 79 as far as a sugar increase. And why this is important just on a very elementary understanding is that your blood is obviously part of your cardiovascular system. And when you have this much blood uh, sugar coming into your blood system at one time and we're not able to deal with it, it's literally like shards of glass in your bloodstream. It can really start to tear up stuff and create inflammation, create all these problems we're talking about. So a big blood sugar rush like that can be dangerous. Now what we'll do, and what I did back in the day, is we stopped eating the white bread and we went into whole grains, get whole wheat, and we get whole grain cereal. You know, we see our Lucky Charms, it's whole grain now, we got, yay. But no, it's not so because of this. Whole wheat is 75 to 77. This is more than table sugar as far as the effect on your blood. So our so-called healthy stuff, we need to be, you know, that food pyramid, they're telling us to eat the majority of these foods. Guess what's happening is this. When this happens, matter of fact, I'm just going to explain it to you. I'm going to show you how this glycemic load actually creates the heart disease. So when you eat those carbohydrates, as you say, it comes into your mouth. So that's you. There's your eye. Okay. So it comes into your mouth, and it's going to go down to your stomach. Okay. It's going to get hit with hydrochloric acid and all that stuff. So then it's going to go to your small intestine, where the microvilli are going to draw that sugar into your bloodstream. Okay. So from this point, all is well, you know, as long as it's sh the sugar's in balance, because what your body's going to do if it's a surplus, you're going to, first of all, you're going to use it for energy. Second, if it's a surplus, it's going to get stored as fat. 
Okay? Fat doesn't make you fat. Sugars make you fat because this intrinsically gets stored as fat. Now, if you're like me, I was a two-sandwich guy. I was a two-three-burger guy. So I'm not eating a small amount of these carbohydrates. So I'm going to get a big blood sugar spike. And what's going to happen is that when there's too much, our body has this amazing capacity to deal with this stuff. Although it's never had to deal with this much throughout human history because carbohydrates are not available like this where literally we don't have to do any work at all. We can just go and have all you want. So when this gets into your bloodstream like this, what our body's going to do is actually ship it over to your liver. Okay? So it's going to ship this excess sugar over to your liver to help protect you. And your liver is the most protective organ in your body by far. It is so amazing. So, and some people actually do this process on purpose if they're an uh, uh, endurance athlete, you know, running a marathon, something of that nature. They'll purposely increase their liver glycogen to be able to draw from that throughout their race. Now, what we do in our culture where it's now been shown that 75% of our country is either, either overweight or obese, we go past this point as well. So we fill that liver glycogen up too. And now our, li- our most protective organ, our bodyguard, it can't put that sugar back into our bloodstream because that will kill us. So what it's going to do, because it's so intelligent, it has these back, back plans, plan B, plan C. It's going to turn that sugar that you've eaten, if you did like me, you had, you know, four honey buns. It's going to turn this sugar into a substance called palmitic acid. So it's going to turn into a fatty acid. And again, all is well, except it needs to shift this somewhere. And what it packages it with is cholesterol, uh, some amino acids, and some fats. And what this does is it creates a molecule called VLDL, very low-density lipoprotein. So if LDL is bad, very LDL is obviously something to be concerned about. Okay, and what is it going to do is just increase the potential that it can become oxidated and get caught up and create inflammation. And how did this even start in the first place? Was it from eating cholesterol? No. It's way back here, eating all those grains. That's what created this blood sugar spike in the glycemic index and created this problem. Okay. So I hope that made sense to you. And obviously, this is something pretty easy to remedy. We just want to avoid the cause in the first place. We want to avoid it at all costs. Now, on another note, I'm going to share this understanding with you. Sorry. One big key word, oxidation. So we want to avoid oxidation of that cholesterol. And so oxidation is basically the free radical activity impacting that cholesterol molecule. And we can do things to block being exposed to excess free radical activity, and, or we can do things to increase it. This is what most people are doing. This is why we're dealing with this problem. So some of the things that create more oxidation, and it's been heavily linked to, there's numerous studies. You can just Google it yourself and check it out. And this is something that was one of the first big things that came to mind that I eliminated from my diet many, many years ago. But now it's becoming commonly known. A lot of people get that this is something dangerous. And what it is, is hydrogenated oils. Okay, so we're taking an oil, a vegetable oil, okay, and we're exposing it to hydrogen to create a substance that 
gives it a longer shelf life. And if you've heard the, the wise saying, if it's extending the shelf life of the product, it's, short, it's shortening your shelf life. So you want to avoid this stuff because it's taking a very flimsy substance and it's actually creating a, a molecule, something of compound that's actually one molecule from being plastic. Okay, so I'm going to say that again. Hydrogenation of these oils creates a product that's one molecule from being plastic. This is why you can find an old potato chip in your car or you know, in your car cushion or at, at your house, an old french fry. And this is from when I was a kid and I would be at people's house. Not, I'm not gross like that where I got french fries in my car cushion. But, and it still looks the same. It's because it's not real. It should have broken down, but manufacturers are using these things. And luckily, in our world today, it's pulled it out of a lot of stuff. A lot of people become aware of this, but it's still being used. And you can help somebody and actually help to save their life by letting them know about this information. Because what it is, is a pro-oxidant. It's going to create inflammation. That plastic can literally start to gum you up. Okay, so we want to avoid stuff like that. We want to avoid other acti activities that create this process. You know, being in balance with our exercise, not doing too much, not doing too little. Because if you're not using your body, you're going to be exposed to more of this um, breakdown. You know, your body's doing so much to try to process all this stuff. But if you're doing too much, it can also be a problem. So you need to do the right kind of right amount of exercise. For most people, it's not a question of doing too much. It's doing way too little. It's just starting to get up and move your body and using your circulatory system and turning these things on. But another one that I want to talk about besides the uh, hydrogenated oils is high fructose corn syrup. We, remember we talked about that glycemic process and how those excess carbohydrates create the VLDL particle hydrogenated oils and high fructose corn syrup in particular is going to increase your blood sugar in ways that would just blow your mind and it's very very dangerous and this is a new thing it's a new invention and the human body is not really made to handle it very well and it's been linked to cancer it could be the number one cause of diabetes in our culture and obviously heart disease because anything affecting your cardiovascular system like that is going to be linked to your heart alright so uh, lastly, I just want to talk about the fear with LDL. It's not, again, it's not LDL's a bad guy. Okay. What we need to be concerned about more so is the receptor sites for LDL okay, getting blocked because of eating bad fats like these hydrogenated oils and things of that nature. And also a down-regulation of those receptor sites because there's too much of this junk going on in the system in the first place. These are some of the things that create that inflammation. There's too many cars there actually on the highways starting to get backed up. So we want to actually avoid this whole process by making sure that we're eating our foods in balance. And this is where we come to the, the biggest way to avoid cardiovascular disease. The biggest thing that you can do is actually to not participate in that whole thing. Everything we've talked about, just avoid that whole thing. That's the number one way. But I want to give you some supplementary things to ensure that you have excellent cardiovascular health. So what we've been focused on in our culture, as far as nutrition, are the fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. So these are macronutrients. And everybody's looking out, making sure they're not getting too much fat, eating enough protein, eating a lot of carbohydrates. We're focused on that and we're looking at our little snack cookies and we're looking at calories and seeing that, okay, it doesn't have this many calories and I'm getting these things. 
These are not the things to be concerned about. What we need to shift our attention to, and this is, can be your biggest takeaway from this, is the micronutrients. This is where the real magic is going to happen, where you're getting your enzymes, minerals, vitamins, phytonutrients, phytochemicals, all the stuff that makes these guys work. We need to shift our attention to a macro, from a macronutrient-rich diet to a micronutrient-rich diet. We want to focus all our attention here and asking before we eat a meal, how much, how can I leverage and get the maximum amount of micronutrients in the food that I'm eating? Instead of looking at that little snack pack of 100 calorie cookies that it's giving you some of this, but none of this. And matter of fact, it's going to be taking this stuff away from you to try to process it because it's dead and there's nothing in it. We want to focus our attention on understanding all calories are not created equal. We need to make sure that we're getting plenty of micronutrients from every calorie that we get. And sure, people think, okay, I can get my vitamins and minerals from a pill, but again, that's a new invention. Your body doesn't recognize that. You've evolved over eons eating whole foods. That stuff is supposed to be supplemental. That's the name. You should never depend on that stuff for getting your nutrition. You want to avoid the crappy macronutrient-rich foods and get the really, really great micronutrient-rich foods. I'm going to give you one understanding. So with the minerals, we'll take one. I'm just going to give you one so we can get going here. Magnesium. All right, That's one micronutrient that we're going to get when we're focused on micronutrient-rich foods. And magnesium, for example, is the most concentrated nutrient in the human heart. That's how important it is. But we don't hear that. We don't ever hear that. And guess what the number one mineral deficiency is in our country? Magnesium. So we want to get foods that are rich in magnesium. Green leafy vegetables in particular. Super easy. We need to add them in. Even start juicing them. Can get it even in a more bioavailable form. Uh, we've got foods like chocolate. Raw chocolate, of course. We want to get the good stuff. It's actually been shown to be the highest source of magnesium of any food that we commonly know about. So those are a couple of good sources. And also um, really ancient foods like spirulina, blue-green algae. They have that green pigment. You're going to likely find a lot of magnesium. Okay, So adding these things in, making sure we're focused on micronutrients, this is how you're going to get to where you want to be. And last thing I'm going to share with you really, really quickly because I think it's so important is the omega-3 fats. These are the anti-inflammatory fats. Remember we talked about inflammation being a culprit behind cardiovascular disease. Not cholesterol, inflammation and oxidation. Okay? These are anti-inflammatory. Pretty much 99% of our population is deficient in omega-3s. Whereas omega-6, we're getting a lot of those. They're important too. However, this needs to be in balance. These are the pro-inflammatory omega-3s generally. So we want to understand that. And as a whole, as we evolved, according to um, different studies, we were at about a one-to-one, maybe to one-to-two ratio of omega-3s to omega-6 respectively. Now we're at about a one-to-twenty to one-to-twenty-two ratio. So our diets are very, very high in omega-6 fats. So we want to avoid this. And how are we doing this if we're not even eating a lot of vegetable oils, which is a big source of that? We're eating animal foods that are grown on factory farms. And these cows, for example, are eating grains. 
which grains, again, omega-6 fats, not omega-3s. They're eating grains, and these are, that's not their normal food. So their tissue, their fat matrix that we're eating, if you're eating animal foods, is going to have a lot of omega-6 fats. Okay, so we want to shift over, if you are eating animal foods, to make sure that you're eating grass-fed, and if at all possible, even avoiding that whole thing, you know, because toxins accumulate as you go up in the food chain, avoiding the animal foods uh, at all if you're really concerned about this, because it can be something that, you know, you really need to know what you're doing, especially in our world today. So, omega-3 fats versus omega-6 fats. We want to make sure that we're getting plenty of these guys, less of these guys, and just look into what foods these are. Okay, and lastly, how about I share with you some of the sources of omega-3 fats to really get you leveled out. Okay, it's a supplement, but it's going to come from a whole food source. And this could be a great takeaway and action step for you. Fish oil. EPA and DHA are the most important as far as these omega-3 anti-inflammatory fats go. Or krill oil, or you can do a vegan option, which would be algae oil. Either way it goes, you really got to up your game and make sure you get those things in. All right, so I hope that was valuable to you. And I just want to thank you for tuning in and taking advantage of this information. Share this with the people you care about because it can literally change someone's life. This is Sean Stevenson signing off and I'll talk with you soon.